0: We started um, last week talking about the word that the Lord gave us for uh, heading into 2020, and um, you know we we as we as we um, as the Lord started talking to me about this, he said that 2020 was going to be a year of clarity. It was going to be a year that we saw uh, or that we see uh, the we see like God sees and we see it clearly. And that you know, it's one thing to be. Uh, I, I had to go to the eye doctor and, and you know get a. I, it was time to get new contacts, so, so they they uh, dilated my eyes and they did all these tests. Man, and and you know, it's it's crazy when you when you can't see clearly. Uh, it just messes everything up, you know, and and just uh, just disorients everything. We we met with a good some good friends of ours that we were in ministry with a long time ago and uh, he's having some eyesight trouble, and he was sharing with us some of the some of the challenges that he had and and I was just man I, 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 after I, after we left supper that night, you know I was just thanking the Lord i was just, I was just thanking the Lord for my eyesight you know there's there's so much that we take for granted that we don't really we, we forget to give we forget to give God thanks for it until uh, sometimes until we lose something you know or or until something is gone but but as as you know we were eating with Tim and a uh, good friend of ours, you know, that there, and, and he was sharing some of his challenges that, you know, man, he can't drive anymore. He even has trouble reading, you know, I mean, reading the scriptures and stuff, and he's a minister, he was a minister of the, of the gospel, you know, he was a pastor for a long time, and, and, uh, and just, just thinking to myself, you know, man, what would it be like if you lost, you know, if you lost, lost your, your sight? Uh, you know, so man, I, I spent some time just thanking the Lord that I had, that I had sight, amen, that I could see. Well, and, and, and even in that, you know, the Bible the Bible tells us in their scriptures that talk about there, that there's people with eyes, but yet they can't see. And talking about spiritual things. There's people that sit in churches every Sunday, and sometimes even Wednesdays, Sunday nights, Wednesdays, and, and they, they still, spiritually speaking, they are still as blind as anybody. You know and that was true in Jesus's day. You know Jesus when he when he uh when he had confrontations with the Pharisees and the Sar- the Sadducees, you know he would say things like that. He say he say you search the scripture daily. And he said and here the he said here I am standing right in front of you and you can't even see me. You know so it was true in Jesus' day and it's still true today. So so in 2020, I my my belief and what I'm praying for and believing for uh, is that we we are going to start seeing the things of god seeing the way god sees and seeing them clearly not not just uh you know not just with a vague understanding but we're going to start seeing the seeing as he sees and seeing it clearly and because when you see clearly then man great things can happen amen how many of you how many of you've ever had you know, had a problem with your eyesight or whatever, and your eyesight was kind of blurry or something, and then, you know, when, when you get that straightened out and, and the, your vision gets back clear, it's like, wow, now, finally, I can see again. You know, so it's a good thing, and it's a good thing to see, to see clearly what God, uh, has in store for us. Amen. So here in James, this is the scripture that we, that we talked about last week, and in James, uh, chapter 1, verse 22, he says, he says, um, be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any man be a hearer of the word, and not a doer, he is like he is likened to a man beholding his natural face in a glass or in a mirror. For he beholdeth himself, and he goes his way, and straightway he forgets what manner of man he was. So he said that that you know if you're just a hearer of the word, and you're not a doer, you don't apply the word. You're like somebody who looks in the mirror, you see yourself, you catch a glimpse, but then you forget what, pers- what type of person you were. Um, yeah, uh, we got the picture up here that we, that kind of like the, the picture that we're uh, using for this series. And you see this little this little kit kitten, kitten looking in the mirror, and in the mirror is the picture of this great lion. And, and the tr- here's the truth. When God sees us, when God sees us, He sees us complete. He sees us as He created us to be. He sees us perfect. He sees us with not missing anything. So much of the time when we look in the mirror, whether it's the spiritual mirror or whether it's the, uh, a physical mirror, we look into the mirror and all we see is our mistakes. All we see is our failures. All we see is, is just the um, you know the, how, how many times we messed up. But when God sees us, He sees us totally different. He sees us as, as, you know, uh, as victorious. Uh, You know, the Bible actually says, the Bible actually says in one scripture that we're his masterpiece. Amen. His masterpiece. Think about that. That, that you and I, you know, when you think of a great artist, you think of somebody that, you know, that have painted, that's painted, uh, you know, some real, real famous, uh, portraits, you know, and they call them masterpieces. Well, you and I are God's masterpiece. Now, I know in the natural, we we some of us look at that and kind of chuckle and say, "Well, boy, he didn't do a very good job." You know, he's he's messed that one up. But really, the truth is, he hasn't messed it up. We've messed it up. You know, in His eyes, though, we are perfect. And and our goal, and and my goal, you know, we saw in First Corinthians or Second Corinthians chapter three, eighteen. Last week we looked at this. The Bible says that we, as we, well, let's let's just turn over there and look at that. Second Corinthians three eighteen, and because uh, this this is an important scripture because it says as we see ourselves in the in the perfect law of liberty that we become like Him. Second Corinthians chapter three verse seventeen and eighteen. 2 Corinthians three seventeen says, "Now the Lord is the Spirit, and when the and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty." "...but we all, with open face, beholding as in a glass or a mirror, the glory of the Lord, we are changed into that same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord." So as you look into the Word, what happens is this, that the Word, as you start doing the Word, you look into the Word, and you start doing the Word, and you start becoming more and more like Jesus. You're changed into His very image." because see here's 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 a something that we have to realize when when God sees us he sees his son because Jesus took our place he took your place in my place and this goes all the way back to to you know you go all the way back to the very beginning the plan of redemption but when God sees us he doesn't see us in our humanity he sees us in Christ and and if we if you and I are going to see ourselves properly, we have to come to an understanding of what it looks like to be in Christ, what it looks like to be uh, to be in Him, and that's something that we're going to be focusing on here. Um, you know, in the first part the first part of the year, um, turn over to Hebrews chapter five with me, real quick. The Lord gave me this scripture, and and uh, I was reading this scripture, and and this just jumped out at us and at me. And we've been looking at this on Wednesday nights, um, and, and asking some very, some very simple questions, but we've been, and man, I've, I've been enjoying the Wednesday nights as we've, as we've been looking at, you know, uh, well, let me read this scripture and we'll, we'll talk about it. In, uh, Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11, it says this, of whom we have many things to say and hard to be uttered, seeing that you are dull of hearing. For when, for when for the time you ought to be teachers, you have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and you are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. And then look at verse 13, it says this, For everyone that uses milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. So when when I read that, man, that just jumped out at me. And and here's here's what I heard the Holy Spirit say. I heard the Holy Spirit say this, if you can be unskillful in the Word of Righteousness, then that means you can also be skillful in the Word of Righteousness. In other words, you know, he says that when, when you're unskilled, when you're unskilled is when you, is when you need milk. It's when you, uh, you, you lay aside and you forget the oracles, the, the principles of God and the foundations of God, and you put those aside, and you need somebody just to preach a feel-good sermon to you. But he says that if you're like that, you're a baby, and he says you're unskillful in the Word of righteousness. Well, on the Wednesday nights, we've been, for the last five or six weeks, We've been looking at uh, at just simple things. For example, I asked this question. Um, I asked the question, what does it mean to be saved? When you think of that word, when you think of salvation, what does that mean? The majority of people would say it like this. The majority of people will answer that question, and they'll just say, well, being saved means that I'm no longer going to hell. When I die, I'll go to heaven. And that's their, that's most people that's, mo- that's most people's... Uh, take on salvation, which that is part of salvation. But what? But the point I was making in this, and, and we talked about this for a few weeks uh, on Wednesday night in our Wednesday nights. The point I was making was this: there's so much more to salvation than just getting your ticket punched to heaven. The word salvation, that word "sozo" in the Greek, that that word means that word encompasses not only salvation of your of your spirit, but it also encompasses healing. Prosperity, deliverance—it's all of that together. Now, I grew up—I grew up in a denominational church in, in and a Southern Baptist, and they did a great job. I mean, they did a great job teaching about your need to be, uh, to be to have your spirit born again and to be saved. They did a great job of doing that. But after you were saved, they didn't tell you nothing else. It was always—it was always kind of like you heard—you just continually heard salvation messages. And you know, they kind of just to me it felt like that they just kind of left you out there floundering to to do the best you could do if you know and and I've said this and I've heard other a lot of other people say this as well, but if we taught healing as well as the baptist and, and other denominations taught just the that side of salvation, we wouldn't have sickness in the church that's right, that's right. if we taught prosperity like like people have taught he, or you know salvation. Then we wouldn't have we wouldn't have poor people in the church. Okay. Why? Because you know because listen, there's nothing it's nothing to think about, and it's, people have no problem whatsoever when it comes to salvation. When you start thinking about salvation, and you know you you don't you don't see anybody objecting to somebody getting born again. You know when you hear somebody getting born again, you're like, praise God, that's great. But then when you when you start talking about healing, people start saying, oh, now wait a minute, brother, I don't know about that. You know, when you start talking about prosperity, oh, you shouldn't be talking about money in the church. You know, when you're talking about deliverance, oh, that's them weird people, don't mess with that. But see, what people don't understand is this, they're unskilled in the word of righteousness because salvation, healing, prosperity, deliverance, all of that is included in that word sozo. And so what we have been doing on Wednesday nights is we've been going through just looking at the simple, at the basics about what, what does salvation mean? What does that include? We we've looked at what covenant means. You know, see, we throw these words out there, and and you know, and even what, what I'm teaching on today about being in Christ, we throw these words out there, and as a and you know, as a pastor, it's my fault as much as it is anybody's fault, as the leadership of the church in general. It's our fault because we throw these words out there and we just assume everybody knows what they mean. Like, you know, for example, we, we throw the word covenant. You know, the, 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 the Bible is really a, a book of two covenants, an old covenant and a new covenant. Well, what does that really mean? What's the difference between the old covenant and the new covenant? You know, can you answer that? Can you give a good, a good explanation about the difference between what the old covenant was and what the new covenant is? And if you can't, see, then that, then that shows us... And, it, and, and listen, like I said, a lot of that falls on the leadership because we just automatically assume, we throw these names out there, these words, and we just automatically assume you have an understanding of it. When it comes to, to righteousness, does, do you really know what it means to be righteous? How do you become righteous? You know, And you'll, you'll have all kinds of questions, or all kinds of people will respond to that. Well, you don't really do anything to be righteous, you're made righteous. Amen. You see, and, and we have all these little words and all these little things that we throw out there, and that's and I believe that's really what Paul was talking about here when he said that we you know that they're unskillful in the word of righteousness. And so so my endeavor, I, I'm praying. Now listen, if you don't like good Bible teaching, then you probably won't like Destiny Bible Church. Because I'm not a preacher, I'm a teacher. And I teach. And you know, and and there's nothing wrong with good preaching. I love I love to hear a good preacher, and and, you know, get you stirred up and get you excited. But but I would much rather hear a teacher. That's just the way I am. That's that's who I am. And so therefore, I like it. I like a good a good teacher that'll go into depth and 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 teach you and and give you an understanding of why you know what is righteousness, what is salvation, what what are these things. So in in 2020, and now listen, this year was the first year in 2019. Uh, we took the word that the Lord gave us about being supernatural, um, and we taught on it the whole year. I've never done that before, and we've looked at all kinds of different subjects inside that one that one subject. But we took a whole year just talking about having the supernatural become our new natural. I have no idea how long this year is to last. A lot of times it, there's a couple months, and sometimes it's longer. But 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 you know what we're looking at is. Is what I'm wanting to show you is this in 2020. I'm wanting you to have a clear understanding of what it means to be a Christian, of what it means to walk in that, and to put some practical things in your hands to where on Tuesday afternoon, when when something happens, you have an understanding, and, and it's not, well, man, I, you know, I can't wait to get back to church to hear what you know to see if I can get something to help me out. But no, it's like I have everything I need on the inside of me. And I can I can get through this situation because because God's put as much in me as He's put in anybody else. And you know, so so we, we are going to be looking at, at a of, of having a clear picture of of how God sees us. Because if you don't understand how God sees you, then you'll never understand who you truly are. You have to you have to understand the way God sees you. And see, and really this whole book, and this goes back to my point, this whole book is really a book about two people. It's a book about two people. It's a book about the first Adam and a book about the last Adam. The first Adam was the one according to Romans 5:17 that says that based on his disobedience sin entered into the world. And because of one man's disobedience, sin entered into every person from the moment that Adam and Eve missed the mark that day. From from the from the time that they messed up, when they lost when they lost the, the glory, when they lost their relationship with God, when they when they missed the mark and, and went and went opposite of God and, and did something that God told them not to do, from that point forward, every person that was ever born on the earth, from Adam all the way until Haley's little baby back here. You know, guess what? Haley's little baby back here was born with a sin nature. As perfect as babies are, and we love them, and babies are precious and cute, and, and, but you know, when, when, they, when they grow up, guess what? They have a sin nature in them. And they will come to a point when they have, you know, in every person, every person that's ever walked on the face of the earth, they will come to a point where they have to make their own decision about whether they're trusting God or not. And so for every person from, from Adam until the last baby that was just born just this one second ago, they're born into this earth and they have a sin. Listen, nobody has to teach a baby how to do bad things. Any of y'all teach your kids how to be bad? Now some of you might have, but, <laughs> you know, but, but as a general rule, you know, you don't have to teach them how to disobey you. You know, one of the favorite words of parents is no, you know, don't do that. You know, I told you. You know, so you don't have to teach your kids uh, how to do bad. It's just in them. But guess what? See, because in Romans, in Romans 5.17, it tells us that through that one man's disobedience, all were made sinners. Here's the reality of that. There's no hope. There's no hope for mankind outside of Jesus Christ. Mankind in his own, about, in his own power, in his own ability, in his own thoughts, in his own uh, whatever else you want to say... Mankind is helpless without the without their savior. As a matter of fact, the old the entire old covenant, the entire old covenant was given basically. And there's a lot to it, but we could sum it up to say this: the entire old covenant was basically given to show people their need for a savior, to show people that they that there was no way that they could live a life good enough to make it into heaven or to enter back into a relationship with God. So what was the what was the answer to it? Well, the answer was Jesus. And we're told and we're and we're taught throughout throughout scripture that we're taught that when Jesus came, it was it was only only the blood of Jesus and the power and the power of of the gospel can change us. When Jesus came, the Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians 5:21, it tells us for you know it says that it says that 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 God made Jesus who knew no sin to be sin so that we who knew sin could be made righteous God put God put your sin in my sin he put it on Jesus Jesus became sin he became he took your failure your uh your sin your miss uh you know your uh mishaps and your uh, all your uh, everything that you had ever done, God, and, and for all of mankind, for for the entire for the entire mankind, God put all of that sin on Jesus on the cross. And you might say, why would He do that? Well, you know, we've been looking at that actually on Wednesday nights I, for those of you on Wednesday. Some of this is you've heard some of this before, but in the last couple of weeks. But the reason He did that was for for one very important reason. Because when God put all of that on Jesus, that meant he took it off of us. He poured his wrath, he poured his anger, he poured all of that onto Jesus on the cross, and when Jesus died on the cross as your sin and as my sin, and then he he died on the cross and he and the Bible tells us that that you know that he, that, that he that he was separated, God turned his back on him, and that Jesus literally went to he went to he went into Hades. For three days and three nights to pay the penalty that you and I owed that's a sobering thought you know now all of us all of us at times growing up probably if you've had siblings you know you did something and your your brother or sister got the blame for it. I'll never forget one time <clears throat> one time uh, me and my brother were fighting and and uh and we were messing around wrestling in there and 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 I hit I got I got mad at him or something and and I threw something at him and it hit a vase that mom had and it knocked it over and it broke it and uh, and man and you know we both knew man we're in trouble so my plan my plan was the very first thing I was going to do before he had a chance to I was going to go tell on him so I went and told I went and told mom and dad that that he threw he, that he picked that thing up and threw it at me and broke it well before he before they even Really even question him. Dad Dad was just upset about, you know, I mean, he was just upset because he had had a hard day. And, and man, he just pulled his belt off and whipped my brother right there. You know, and man, at first I thought, well, at least he didn't whip me. But then I got to thinking about it. I thought, you know, he didn't deserve that. Now, we were fighting, but I was the one that broke that. You know, and now, not like I was a perfect kid by no means, but I ended up fessing up to that I ended up telling my dad that that it was me that broke that and then I ended up getting whipped too <laughs> but that still didn't take away that still didn't take away the fact that my brother took punishment for me and man it made me feel terrible but now just think about what Jesus did Jesus took the sins of the world on himself and he took all of that punishment and all of that all of the wrath and the anger of God he he took it on himself. Why? So that you and I could be free. So that you and I wouldn't have to have that. The Bible says just like one man in Romans chapter 5, just like one man by disobedience, sin entered into the world, the Bible says that by one man's obedience, we're all set free. So just like Adam messed up, Jesus, who the Bible calls the last Adam, He he came and obeyed instead of disobeyed. And because of His obedience, you and I now have what we call salvation. Because he died on the cross and he was he he was you know in hades he was raised from the dead and and he he took and offered his blood as the perfect sacrifice in heaven and sat down at the right hand of the father saying my job's finished and from that point forward you and I are now our sin is is forgiven thank God for that amen now if you're interested in more of that we're talking about that on Wednesday nights and we're going really in depth in that so I encourage you to come out on Wednesday nights and and uh, be a part of that, or listen to it on the listen to it on the internet. You can download those and and listen to it on our podcast and different things. But but the point I'm making today is that without the blood of Jesus and without Him, there was no hope for mankind. So when Jesus came, he he uh, he entered into a new covenant, and the Bible says that the new covenant that He entered into was between him and the father, but it says that that new covenant, it was better based on better promises than the old covenant. Now we look at the old covenant and we think, man, some of the, some of the blessings and some of the promises of the old covenant are pretty good. But the Bible tells us that the new covenant that Jesus cut with his blood, and when he, when he offered himself on the, on the cross for our sacrifice, it says that he cut that new covenant with better promises and better things. And so you and I have a better covenant. In 2 Corinthians five twenty one, the the Passion translation. I think I've got I've installed that Passion translation up there, Paul. It's the one that says T, uh, TPT. I think. Put uh, 2 Corinthians five twenty one up there. This is uh, this is the scripture that uh, that tells us that that you know that he that God made Jesus to be our sin and <clears throat> and I can just read it here. We don't have that. It says this, 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For God made the only one who did not know sin to become sin for us, so that we who did not know righteousness might become the righteousness of God through our union with Him. So God made the one who did not know sin to become sin, so that we who did not know righteousness might be made the righteousness of God. So see, He made us in right standing. He put us in right standing with Him. And he took, he took, Jesus took all of, all of everything that was in Adam, all of the, 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 the sin and the, the mishaps and everything that was that. He took the, he took all of that condition on himself and he, when he went to the cross, he took care of that. Now, here's the thing. For you and I, what does that, what does that mean for us? So Jesus took Adam's condition, he took it into himself and he died with it. So that the moment that you receive Jesus by faith, His death becomes your death. His his, uh, burial becomes becomes your burial. When when Jesus died on the cross, when God saw Him, He not only saw Jesus, but He saw every one of us. Because because what happened, the Bible tells us that that He put us in Christ. There's Scripture after Scripture. There's something over 70, some Scriptures I believe, or maybe even more than that, Maybe maybe it's a hundred and uh, thirty scriptures. I think that have, that uses the terminology in Christ or in Him or in whom, and you can look all of those scriptures up. And you can and Brother Hagin taught on this extensively, you know, at times. But you can look all those scriptures up those in Him, in whom, in Christ scriptures, and that tells you who you are, because what God did in Jesus, He also did in you. Everything He put into Jesus. Is now in you because you are in Christ. There's no difference in God's eyes. There's no difference than Jesus and us. Because when He sees us, we are in Him. Now, and and I know I'm throwing a lot at you this morning and, you know, and a lot of things to think about, but, but I want to give you a couple of these scriptures. Let's look, let's look at Galatians chapter two. Galatians chapter two. And I'm going to to slow down a little bit and we're going to kind of hit on this for a little while. Galatians chapter 2. Because this this is very important for us to understand. Galatians chapter 2. Because the Bible Bible tells us that when, when Jesus was crucified, that you and I were with Him. Now, here in Galatians, Paul is writing... And now we know we know that Paul was not literally with Jesus when he was crucified. But notice what Paul said in, in, in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. Paul said this. He says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but it is Christ that lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh... I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. So Paul, he made this astounding statement. He says, I was crucified with Christ. Now, we, we know in the natural that wasn't true. In other words, Paul was not up there on the cross with Jesus. So what was Paul talking about? What Paul was talking about was this, was the revelation that what God did in Jesus, He did in each one of us. In other words, when Jesus was crucified on the cross, Jesus—I mean, God—saw saw that because Jesus became our sacrifice, our substitute. He 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 took our sin and he put it on himself, and he became sin for us so that we could become righteous like him. And when he did that, when when he when he took our sin upon himself, what happened was that we went we went in Christ. We went on the inside of Him, and just when He was crucified, we were crucified. When He went to the grave, we went to the grave. When He was resurrected, we were resurrected. It was counted unto us as righteousness. Just like, just like time and time again, where it says Abraham believed, and it was counted to him as righteousness. When you and I believe, it was accounted to us, just like we hung on that tree And like we were buried in the grave, and we were resurrected, just like Jesus. In God's eyes, that's what happened to you and me. And that's a wonderful thing because that means we don't have to go through that. That means we don't have to, you know, we don't have to endure the pain and the suffering that Jesus went through. Amen. Look at uh, the Amplified version says this. Let's let's look at a couple different translations here. The Amplified Version says this, I have been crucified with Christ in Him. I have shared His crucifixion. It is no longer I who live, but Christ the Messiah lives in me. And the life I now live in the body, I live by faith in, in and by adherence to and reliance on and complete trust in the Son of God who lived, who loved me and gave Himself up for me. So here's what happened." When, when Jesus died on the cross you and I died with him when he was resurrected now no longer is it just you living but now Christ actually lives on the inside of you you see we swap places just like just like Jesus took our place on the cross now he comes and lives on the inside of us and by faith in him by it's actually his faith but we use his faith and we put faith in in the fact that he did it by by his faith, we believe that God looks at us now and sees us as totally free, totally sinless, totally like like He sees us as His own son, complete. Now let me read this. Um, I've, I've got I've been reading the uh, the Mirror Bible. BJ BJ got me uh, the Mirror Bible, and it's a it's a paraphrase, uh, but it's a guy that wrote it from the standpoint of. Um, he wrote it from the standpoint of, of identity, you know, understanding who we are. And it's just an incredible, some of his revelation about some of these scriptures is just really, uh, really eye-opening. I don't have it on the screen, so I'll just have to read it to you. But, but here in Galatians chapter 2, um, and I want to read a couple verses above this to get down, before I get down to verse 20. But, but, um, because in the first part of Galatians 2, Paul's talking about, uh, Paul's talking about how he confronted Peter. If you remember that story, how Paul confronted Peter about how Peter was—he would—he would eat with certain people until until the religious people came, and then he wouldn't have nothing to do with them, and he was kind of living a double life. He was being two-faced, really, is what he was. And Paul called him on the carpet on it. And Paul said, Paul said, you shouldn't act two different ways just based on who's in front of you, you know. And, and you should be the same no matter what. So at the end of that conversation, here's here's what here's how the mirror translation translates this. Paul said this, he said, Sin is not a respecter of persons. Sin is sin whether you're a Jew or a Gentile. He says, as Jews, we should be first to know that righteousness is not a reward for good behavior according to the requirements of the law. We have pursued righteousness for generations under the system of personal performance, but we failed miserably. Jesus Christ embodies God's belief concerning mankind's redeemed righteousness this is only valid base, this is the only valid basis of our belief our best intentions to do good cannot add any weight to our righteousness we have no advantage over any other person jew or gentile alike were equally disqualified by the law now we are equally justified because of jesus and for no other reason however if in our quest to discover righteousness by faith in what Christ did for us, we find that it is still possible to stumble. We do not, or do not now label yourself a sinner yet again. The fact that you sin does not cancel the cross of Christ. And it gives you no reason to abandon justification by faith as if Christ is to be blamed for your distraction. That would be absurd. Now listen to these next couple verses. This this is really good. Only a con artist will try to be a law man and a grace man at the same time. The law demanded my death. Grace reveals that in God's mind, Jesus died that death. So as far as the law is concerned, I'm a dead man. But as far as God is concerned, I'm alive. Now listen to verse 20. This, This is so good. So here I am, dead and alive at the same time. I'm dead to the old me I was trying to be, and I'm alive to the real me, which is Christ in me. Co-crucified, now I'm co-alive. What a glorious entanglement. I was in Him in His death. Now I discover that He is infused in me in my life. For the first time... I'm free to be me in my skin, immersed in his faith in our joint sonship. He loves me and he believes in me. He is God's gift to me. Boy, isn't that good. That he said that, he said, what a great, what a great problem to have. He said, what a great entanglement. I'm dead and alive at the same time. I'm dead to the old me. My old man is dead, but I'm alive in Christ. I'm free to be me. Why am I free to be me? Because now Christ lives in me. I'm free to be the real me that God created me to be. The only way I can be the real me is if my old man stays dead. Because if my old man gets resurrected and I bring back my old man, what's going to happen? I'm going to be in the flesh. And I'm going to have carnal things in my life that's going to go against what God has for me. And that's and that's a dangerous place to be because we find, we find that that what happens what happens is that when we when we try to mix the two, we we end up we end up with a, with something that God never intended. There's no way you can mix law and grace together. You know, it's either either you're going to live by the law or you're going to live by grace. The moment that you try to bring the law back into grace. Is the moment that that you have to do hundred percent of the law. I told you that the old covenant, the old covenant was was really given to prove to you that you, there was no way you could keep it. You you could not keep the law. There's no way that you could keep one hundred percent of the law. In other words, we you know we would fail every single day of our lives if we had to keep the law. But thank God that Jesus died on the cross. And and He he fulfilled the law. And He created a new covenant. And under that new covenant, now we have grace. And because of that grace, you and I are set free from the bondage of the law and that old man. And now we have the freedom to live as the new man. That's awesome. You know, and like he said, only a con artist would try to have the old the old man and the new man together. In other words, you have to choose which one you want to be. You have to choose whether you want to be under the law or whether you want to be under grace. Now listen, if you want to live under the law, have your best. Have your, have your best shot at it. But I can promise you this, you're going to fail. Under the new man, under grace, man, enjoy enjoy your life with Him. But that doesn't, that, you know, and we and you've heard me teach on grace many times, that doesn't mean that you can live any way you want to live. Titus teaches us this. Titus says this: that the grace of God leads us away from from sin, and it teaches us how to live a holy life, how to live a clean life, how to live a righteous life. And if you ever hear if you ever hear anybody teaching uh, that that because you're under grace you can live in sin and be okay with it, that's that's false, because God is never going to okay sin. Amen. Because the Bible is still very plain about that, that He tells us, the Bible tells us very plainly that the wages of sin is still death. And if you sin and you continue to live in sin, it will bring death in your life. Amen. I mean, there's no way around that. I love how T. L. Osborne said this, uh, and and this is probably one of the best quotes I've heard about this. T. L. Osborne, uh, he wrote a whole book about this, but he he said this. He said that. He said the way he describes what happens here is this. He said that little I moved out and big Christ moved in. Little I moved out, big Christ moved in. So what that means is this. If that's true, then that means sickness and disease has to move out, healing, because healing moved in. You see, because now listen to this. Now think about this. Let's put this together, what we're talking about here. If God put us in Christ... And everything that Christ is, is now who we are. You have to ask yourself, is Christ sick? Is Jesus sick? Anybody have an answer for that? No, he's not sick. So if we're in him, then guess what? Sickness shouldn't be in our body. Is Jesus broke? Is he in poverty? No. Well, then poverty shouldn't be in us. Is Jesus bound by anything? No, then, then we should not be bound by anything. Well, Pastor, how can you say that? Because we are in Christ. And if we're in Him, that means everything that He is is in us. And if we're allowing anything in our body that, that doesn't belong to, in His body, then that's, that's a, um, that's a uh, breach of contract. <laughs> you know, that's something that, that should be... I can't think of the word I'm looking for. That's, that's, some, that's, a, that's wrong. We shouldn't allow anything in our body or anything in our life that's not in His life. Now, I see. I got some teaching to do on this. Some of y'all looking at me kind of funny. <laughs> Let's look at this scripture. Look at you know in uh, uh, Colossians, Colossians uh, one twenty seven. It says this. Let's turn over to Colossians, just one or two books to your right there. Colossians one twenty seven. Paul made this statement. He said... uh, uh, Yeah, we'll just look at verse 27. He says this. Well, look at verse 26. He says, "...even the mystery which has been hid from ages and from generations, but now is made manifest to His saints, to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you... The hope of glory, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now, what Paul was talking about there was this. He said he said that it's been a mystery from genera- from from really from the from from the start of time up until this time when Paul is teaching this. He said it's been a mystery what this Christ in you really was. Think about think about the prophets. Think about Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and even Moses and and all going all the way back when they taught when they when they were writing when God was giving them things, and they started talking about Christ in you and God in you, they had no understanding of what that meant you know because because in their in their time, God did not live on the inside the human body he he would come upon people, but he didn't live on the inside of them I'm telling you they they yearned and longed for the day that you and I are living in you've heard me say this many times in many different ways. But I'm convinced when we get to heaven, when we get to heaven, when we see Elijah and and Moses and Abraham and all these guys, they're going to come running up to us and say, what was it like? What was it like? And we're going to be like, what What are you talking about? And they're like, what was it like to have the Holy Spirit living on the inside of you? To have everything you ever need for Him never to leave you? 124 hours a day, 7 days a week. He never left you. What was it like? You know, and, and they would probably be like, You man, you would never be defeated. You nothing nobody could ever harm you. Nothing could ever stop you because you got God living twenty-four seven on the inside of you. And we're all gonna be saying, Well <laughs> Yeah, well, I barely made it. You know, by the skin of my teeth, I made it into heaven. And they're gonna be saying, What? You you have God living on the inside of you and you struggled? Think about that. They yearn and long for the day that you and I live in. The mystery, the mystery of the Gentiles, the mystery of the, the 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 prophets of old was Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now listen to this from the from the. Both of these are really good in the in the uh, Mirror Bible in uh, Colossians. Let me pull this up here. Colossians one. And uh, let's see. We'll just—I'll just pick up here in verse uh, verse twenty-six. He says, "Mankind's most sought-after quest—the mystery which has remained elusive and concealed for ages and generations—is now fully realized in our redeemed innocence." Now, listen to verse twenty-seven. This is incredible. Within us. God is delighted to exhibit the priceless treasure of this glorious unveiling of Christ's indwelling in order that every person on the planet, whoever they are, may now come to the greatest discovery of all time and recognize Christ in them as in a mirror. He is the desire of the nations and He completes their every expectation. Listen to that. Isn't that awesome? That within us, God is delighted to exhibit the priceless treasure of this glorious unveiling of Christ indwelling in order that every person on the planet, whoever they are, may now come to the greatest discovery of all time and recognize Christ in them as in a mirror. What was he talking about that? In other words, remember we read the Scripture in 2 Corinthians where it says that when we look in the mirror, we're transformed Glory to glory, to look just like Jesus. The greatest mystery, the greatest mystery of all time. What would it look like to have Christ living on the inside of us? What would it look like to be to to have um, to not just live not just to live our life for ourselves, but to live our life with Christ living on the inside of us. That's why Paul said he said, "I, he said, I, I live, but it's no longer I that live, but it's Christ in me that liveth." What if what if you could what if you could have an inside track to the mind of Christ and every time that every every moment, every thought you had, every situation that you run up against Everything that you, that you face in life, you could know exactly what God was thinking about it. And you could respond just like God. That would be pretty awesome, wouldn't it? Well, guess what? We have that. We have, we have the Holy Spirit living on the inside of us. There's a scripture that says that, you know, we don't have to go up to the heavens or down to the bottom of the sea to find Him. He's here. He's living on the inside of every one of us. It's the mystery of the the generations past to what God was talking about. And it's, it's revealed to you and I. What is that mystery? The fact that Christ lives on the inside of us. And because He lives on the inside of us, that means that we're never alone. We're never by ourselves. We're never without help. Why? Because we have Christ in us. Now it's it's one thing, it's one thing to say that we're in Christ. And we are in Christ, and, and we look a whole lot better in Christ than out of him. I promise you that. And if you and if, and if you if you're not impressed with who you are, you just haven't looked at Jesus lately. Because you look just like Jesus. Your spirit man, now listen, your spirit man looks just like Jesus. Now, our soul, our, our outward man, our, uh, you know all of the, the, the things that God left for us to deal with, now, that might be a different story. That's the reason that the Bible tells us also. It says that the Word, the word is for the saving of our soul. You see, we have been saved, we are being saved, and then one day we will be saved. It's a, it's a progression. We're, our spirit man saved. We're born again. But our soul, in this very moment, even right now, as we're looking into the, as we're looking into the, the mirror of God's Word, our soul is being saved even as we're talking. We're seeing ourselves, We're being changed into His image. And then guess what? One day, when we get to heaven, we'll be saved forever from the fact that we'll never have another bad day in our life. Will be eternally saved. Amen. And and you see, so here's what here's what this is. This word is a mirror, and we look at this word, and we have to realize, you see, because if we're gonna if we're gonna see clearly here, and let me pull all this together. I've been scattered today. I've went all kinds of different directions. If we're if we're gonna see clearly, and we're gonna understand the way God sees us then we're we're going to have to understand what He did in us. We're going to have to understand who we are. If you don't understand who you are, you'll never see yourself as who God created you to be. I was reading, I was telling Foundations class this, I was reading a a book this week and, and he made this statement in it. He said that, like, he was telling the story of Peter... Simon Peter, when, when Jesus was, uh, when Jesus asked him the question, I think it was in Matthew, uh, 15 or somewhere, and I can't remember exactly the reference now. But Jesus asked him the question, he said, Who do men say that I am? And, you know, they were saying, Oh, some say Elijah, some say Isaiah, some, you know. And then Jesus asked him the next important question, he says, Well, who do you say that I am? And, you know, that's when Peter, Peter jumped up and said, He said, You're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And, and Jesus looked at him and said, Peter, he said, Simon, he says, he says, you didn't get that revelation from earth. He said, you got that revelation from heaven. And, but he made this statement. He said, he said, no longer will your name be called Simon, but he said, now your name will be Peter. And he said, upon this rock, I'll build my church. But what happened was this. When, when Peter or Simon at the time, when Simon saw who Jesus really was, then Jesus showed Simon who he really was. And it's not until you see Jesus that you'll understand who you are. Because when you see Him, then you'll understand who He's called you to be. And see, so much of the time, we try to, we try to understand who we are without getting a revelation of who Jesus is. And, and you can't do that because you're in Him. You're in Christ. And He's in you. So if you want to get a picture of who you are, then find find Jesus in the word and say that's who I am Amen. now you're not a savior don't get me wrong I'm not I'm not saying that and you're not god and you know I'm not saying that you understand that what i'm saying is this when when you see who he is and you see and you see everything that he has that's who you are and what you have Amen. and we have to and, and until we see ourselves like that we'll never walk in that if you see yourself, if you see yourself as somebody who's just a failure, somebody who messes up all the time, who never can do anything right, then guess what? That's the way you're going to stay. You have to start looking in this book, looking in the mirror, and start seeing yourself the way God sees you. You've got to see yourself righteous. You've got to see yourself holy. You've got to see yourself victorious. You've got to see yourself as an overcomer. You've got to see yourself with having everything you need to succeed, to overcome, to, to face any battle you'll ever face. You have to see yourself as someone who can who can do that. The the picture right here, you've got to look in, even though you know on the outside you're that little kitten who can't do anything, you've got to see yourself as the man or woman of God that you that, that he says that you are in his word. And until you see that picture, until you can get that picture in your head, until you can look in the Word of God and say, "This is who I am," then you'll stay defeated. You'll stay bound. You'll stay, um, you know, always making mistakes. But when you can look in the Word and you can, and, and in your, and we're going to be talking about imagination and, and our thoughts and the power of of seeing the unseen. When you can see yourself the way God sees you, you see because because for some of us, listen, some of us we have a long way to go to to call ourselves victorious. We have a long way to call to to go to see ourselves as overcomers I, I tell that story quite often, but um, I think it was uh, I think it was happy uh, Caldwell, a pastor that said he was in Hawaii one time and, and a tour guide was showing him these houses and and they showed him the most expensive house in, in, on that island, wherever they were, you know. And they told him how many millions of dollars this house cost and everything. And Happy said, happy said, you know, he said he'd just come came out of his mouth before he even realized it. He just said, I can't see myself living in a house like that. And he said no sooner than he got it out of his mouth, he said on the inside the Holy Spirit rose up and said, don't worry, you never will. In other words what the Holy Spirit was telling them was this until you can see yourself doing it you never will until you see yourself healed you'll never be healed till you see yourself set free you'll never be set free if you see yourself just bound and addicted and 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 all those all those chains just holding you down and every time you look in the mirror that's all you see then that's what you'll stay but when you can look in the mirror and say you know what I'm free. I'm not addicted. I'm 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 not bound by this. I don't know how many people I've heard tell the story. Like um, I don't know whether it was it maybe in Creflo or somebody I heard telling the story, but but I've heard a lot of people say s- s- similar things. Somebody came to him and wanted to quit smoking. And and they said uh, they said you know tell, can you tell me how to quit smoking and and I said yeah every, and and he told him this he said yeah I said every time you pick up a cigarette. And you light it, and you start you start smoking it, you say these words. Say, say this cigarette does not have me in bondage. I, I am not addicted to cigarettes. And the guy's like, What are you talking about? Even while I'm smoking it? And he said, Yeah, even while you're smoking it. He said, you, he said, every time you light one up, he said, you just say, I am not addicted to cigarettes. This will be the last cigarette I ever smoke. You know, this thing does not have me in bondage. This thing does not have, you know, this thing does not control my life. And, and so he, he left and, and he told me, he said, all right, I'll do it, I'll do it. And he saw him a couple weeks later and, and he told him, he said, Pastor, he said, I want to tell you, he said, he said, I did that for like three or four days. He said, I kept saying, it. he said, I, every time I'd like one, I'd say, this thing has no control over me. I can put them down anytime I want to put them down. I, you know, it, it, I'm not addicted to these things. And he said, I said it every time. And he said, he said, all of a sudden, one day, he said it was after just a couple weeks or something, he said, i come to the realization, these things don't have, don't have control over me. I can lay this down. And he said, you know what? I made the decision that day that I wasn't going to smoke anymore. And he said, I laid them down. And he said, I hadn't picked them back up. See, what happened in that? What happened was this. That guy finally saw himself as being free. He saw, he, he's you know brother Hagan called it brother Hagan called it schooling yourself into faith he said you can school yourself into faith in other words you know you can say it and keep saying it until until finally your spirit man picks up on it until your flesh picks up on it really your spirit man is, is free you know you keep saying it until until the outward man says you know what I agree with I agree with my spirit man I'm not addicted this thing has no control over me and if you're serious about it, listen, if you're serious about it, you can break any addiction like that. You know, I heard, I heard one person put it this way. You know, the only sin that we commit is the ones we want to. You know, when you get to the place where you don't want to do it. Now, listen, we've all been caught in cycles where we're doing things and, and we say we don't want to do it. But in reality, we do it again because we want to. Now, I know that may be hard to hear, but it's true. You know, when you get to the place, and how many, times, how many testimonies have you heard, where when you get to the place where you get sick and tired of being sick and tired, you do something. When you get to the place where you say, you know what, I'm not going to let this have control over me anymore. I'm, going to, I'm through with it, I'm going to lay it down, and this, this is not going to control me anymore. When you get to that place, guess what, you can lay it down. Why? Because you have Christ in you. It's Christ in you. It's Christ. You know, listen, the next time you're struggling with something, the next time you're struggling with, a, with an addiction or a sin or, or something that's going on in your life, stop for a moment and just repeat those words. Say, I have Christ in me. And meditate on that. Christ is living on the inside of me. Why am I doing this? Why am I allowing my flesh to do this? I have Christ in me. And just watch and see if just seeing yourself with Christ living on the inside of you. When you see yourself that way, you'll be set free from from things that, that have held you in bondage for years. Why? Because the power of Christ sets you free. There's freedom in Him. There's freedom in His name. There's freedom in the blood. There's freedom in what He did for you on the cross. Listen, the story, the story, the Bible is the story of two men. The old man, the old Adam, the first Adam, and the last Adam. And the question is this. Which one do you identify with? Which one do you see yourself with? Because the reality is you see yourself with one of the two of them. If you see yourself with the first Adam, then you see failure, you see mistakes, you see mess-ups, you know, you see just complete failure. But when you start seeing yourself with the last Adam, Jesus, you start seeing perfection. You start seeing righteousness, holiness. You start seeing victory, overcoming. And that's that's what He did for us. That's the hope. That's Christ in me, the hope of glory. And when we see ourselves, 2 Corinthians 3.18, when we see ourselves, we're transformed into His image from glory to glory to glory. The more you see Him, the more you'll want to be like Him. The more you taste of Him, the more you'll want of Him. The more time you spend with Him, the more time you'll want to spend with Him. What, what's happening? You're being transformed. You're being from glory to glory to glory. You're seeing yourself. You're not forgetting who you look like. Because what will happen when you start seeing yourself like Him, when you step out and all of a sudden that urge to do something or that urge to go somewhere or to take something or whatever that urge is... Then all of a sudden you'll start saying, you'll take a step that way and you'll say, wait a minute, wait a minute. That's not like Him. I need to go this way. And you'll find yourself walking away from that. Why? Because you're being changed into His image. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, I hope I didn't confuse you too bad. Amen. So I just encourage you. I encourage you this week. Uh, see yourself like Him. See yourself. Find, your, find Jesus in the Word. Find yourself in the Word. And as you do that, just continually repeat, repeat that phrase. Christ in me. I have Christ living in me. Christ in me. The hope of glory. Man, that will set you free. Amen. Amen. Well, let me pray for you. Hallelujah. Well, Father, I pray this morning.